Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. So the last few weeks, we have uh, been talking about clinging, the types of clinging, how clinging leads to suffering. And we've been talking a little bit about the five clinging aggregates, these processes, if you will, these experiences of reality that we attach ourselves to and mistake for our sense of self. We mistake it for a solid, true self, right? Capital T, capital S. And the list of aggregates, as the Buddha describes them, are form, which is physicality, materiality, the embodied being, everything that's material, things that are solid, dense, that's the whole category of form materiality. Mostly we're referring to the body, of course, when we talk about meditation, but it could be things outside of ourselves, like shapes that we see and our response to other people's forms, which is pretty common too. Our reaction to seeing shapes and forms and the solidity of the outside world. And then we have feelings. And as you all know, feelings in the Dharma do not refer to sadness, happiness, and those kinds of things. It just refers to positive, negative, and neutral sensations. Feelings are the ground out of which complex emotions arise. Feelings are that first impact of contact at the sense doors that say liking, disliking, clinging, letting go. It is that impetus towards reactivity. At the sense doors, whether it's eyes, nose, ears, mouth, body contact, mind, there's an immediate feeling that arises that says, this is good or this is bad. Not labeled yet, but it's a feeling, a feeling of pleasantness, a feeling of wanting to like it, or it's a feeling of dislike, pain, something that your body contracts against, pushes against. So those are feelings. Feelings are just the basic, what we call hue in psychology, just the basic hues, the valence underneath complex emotions that cause the body to respond either towards or to recoil or retract against, to push away. So we have form and feelings. And then the big one, we're not going to do this one today, but I definitely am excited about doing a Dharma talk on this one. We're going to do perception. And the reason perception is so important is that perception is the labels It's how the mind takes a feeling or an experience and immediately puts it in a box. It categorizes it in a familiar category that we're accustomed to. That's when we start doing value judgments, right? Good, bad, or just attaching words to sounds. So while I was sitting earlier, someone was yelling outside and it seemed like they had been locked out of their house or something and they were yelling and they seemed kind of agitated and if i break that down the vibrations come to the form of the the ear and then there was this feeling of negativity which was followed by a sense of concern for the person like it sounded like they were pretty desperate and they were yelling and screaming and cussing it seemed like very agitated so There was the sound, which was aversive and worrisome, but then there were the labels I placed on it. I imagined the person outside knocking. I labeled it kind of like a domestic kind of thing, like maybe someone locked them out on purpose and seemed like there was some of that going on. Maybe someone had locked them out of the house. But all of the interpretation outside of the the feeling of the aversive physical response I was getting from the yelling and the cussing That's all perception. That's me putting those sounds into familiar categories and reminding my mind that I've got these boxes that I I have, these stereotypes of experience that I call perception, which is 
the previous boxes that I've already created for reality. A simpler way of looking at it is just the sound of a bird, and you say bird, that's perception. Perception is the birding, right? And you should try this sometime with meditation, is that listen to outside noises or, you know, listen to music and see if you can distinguish between the feeling of the music and the part of the mind that knows that it's music. Like if you had never heard music before, would you still have the label to say music? Of course you wouldn't. So feelings, perception, form, these are the foundational processes of the mind and consciousness that allow us to shape our experience moment to moment of what it is that's coming in at the actual sense doors. So those are the first three. Those are the first three of the aggregates. And the last two of the aggregates are formation and consciousness. And formation, if you remember, is also called fabrication, depending on the translation. So and what's that, what that is saying is that our experience of the world is co-created by the way we react to what's coming in at the sense doors. So fabrication and formation is everything that's not feeling and perception. It's thoughts, it's moods, it's emotions, it's um, analysis, it's everything consciousness does to give meaning and structure to our experience. It forms, fabricates, or creates the experience. And the last one is consciousness. Consciousness is the backdrop awareness in which all of these other aggregates or experiences are arising and passing away. Consciousness is the knowing factor of the human experience. It's the, if you want to say part, or the quality of the mind, quality of, I was about to say consciousness, but you can't say, <laughs> that's not going to work. It's the quality of the consciousness process that knows. It's the knowing factor. So it can be really helpful when we're talking about these aggregates, just, just to remember that they're not things, right? They're dynamic systems that we engage in, that we relate to, that we co-create, that gives us a sense of I, me, mine. I, me, mine. I am hearing someone locked out of their house. Form, feeling, perception, and awareness. And the fabrication, which is my mind putting it all together into a neat little tidy um, packet of info that I can then process and talk about and think about and reflect about. So these are not things, they're processes, right? And they're relatable, they're relationship-based. So we relate to them. And the way we relate to them changes how we feel, moment to moment, how we feel as people in the moment. And I'm going to explain to this in some pretty um, specific detail in a second. One thing I wanted to say is that when I teach the aggregates, I usually gently separate the first three from the second two. And part of the reason I do that is that form, feeling, and perception, it's fairly easy to see how they work. And I'll show you in a moment how they work. But form, feeling, and perception, pretty easy to see how it gives rise to the experience of moving through the world. The reason I separate them is that form, feeling, and perception are also fabrications, right? They're putting together the world. So fabrication can be taken as an object, but it's also simply a description of how the mind is processing information. So form, feeling, and perception are also fabrications. Consciousness is also a fabrication, but Fabrication in this context can be taken as an object. We can look at it and reflect on what it means and what it does. But So if you remove the first three from the second two, we start to see that form, feeling, and perception are very karmically tied, right? They're almost literally cause and effect. One causes the other, causes the other, and they loop back around in this causal chain. And all of that is held in consciousness, and it is a fabrication. It's a process of creation. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago when I said the aggregates get kind of confusing, this is what I'm talking about. It's just a little confusing because we have five aggregates, but all of the aggregates are being held in consciousness, which is one of the aggregates. And all of the aggregates are 
fabrications and fabrication is also an aggregate. So if, if that's confusing, then it should be because it's just confusing. It's just confusing. But I'm going to break it down for you to put it into practical terms so you can see how it works in meditation. So here's the main thing to know about feelings and perceptions. I noticed the other day I was, um, I actually think I was meditating. I was meditating and I heard a pretty loud popping sound, an explosion outside my window. And there was like quite a few of them. And in our neck of the woods here in Southeast Portland, there's been a lot of gun gunfire lately in the last year and a half, just increasing. And there's a park down the street that used to be this really cool place with a community center and a pool and just this really gorgeous, typical kind of Portland park, lots of trees, big spacious area. But now you can't really go over there because there's just a lot of gun. There's just people shooting <laughs> and the people who live there are waking up to like bullet holes in their cars. And this is like four blocks away from where I live. So I was sitting in meditation and I heard the sound, right? I heard the sound. And my first thought was, oh, it sounds kind of like a car, like maybe a car backfiring or starting up. We have a couple noisy cars, pretty noisy cars on our street. And so the sound comes in to the form. It vibrates in the ear and perception says, oh, that's probably my neighbor's car. And because I initially labeled it that it was probably my neighbor's car, the feeling that I rose that was caused by the perception was one of basically neutrality. It was like, okay, my neighbor's pulling out of the driveway. No big deal. I'm meditating. So in that case, what we see is vibrations come into form, feelings arise, and there's this, this label too of the perception that's co-creating the feeling. And because I had labeled the sound as something innocuous, my body didn't have any aversive response. It was like neutral. It was like, yeah, whatever. And then it continued, right? And the next time I heard the pops, it was really loud. And I realized from my perception that it was not, not a car, it wasn't a car. And so then I started feeling a little nervous because my label was, oh my God, is that, is that gunfire? Like, are those, is that like a gun? And so when I changed the label from car to gunshot, the feeling, the other aggregate change changed. And as soon as I thought, oh my gosh, is that gunfire? Then there was the feeling of aversion. Then there was a feeling of like contraction. Then there was a feeling of nervousness, right? Then the whole experience of the moment becomes changed because the perception was suddenly different. Now, here's what ended up happening after that. I realized afterwards that in retrospect, if there hadn't been a bunch of shootings at the park, I might have first thought fireworks, right? My, my, my label, my perception would have normally been the category of familiarity would have been fireworks. But because there had been shootings, I labeled it differently and changed my momentary experience in that moment by changing the label. And so then I realized, oh, that's right. Fourth of July is coming. This is fireworks. So then once again, I changed the label and then I relaxed because the feeling changed because I was like, oh, someone's just lighting off fireworks. And then there wasn't any sense of aversion at all. I use this example because the mind is labeling continuously. All of this sense contact is coming in and we're labeling, 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 labeling. That's called perception. And as we're perceiving, we're then feeling. Now, it doesn't always work in that direction. Sometimes feelings come first. Sometimes feelings arise and they're very disquieting and we then label them bad. And that is the way that the situation arises in experience. So I'm going to give you another example of this, which is actually, I think, more indicative of my clumsiness than it is indicative of anything in the Dharma. But I'm going to share this with you anyway. So... I have this stairwell in my house that has this banister and it's um, it's not one of those poles that you hold on the way down. It's a, a square banister and I don't know how else to describe it, but it's square and at the end, it's kind of pointy. It's like it's a square at the end 
and it's pretty thick. It's like four inches. And <laughs> I've been living in this house for like 15 years, but on occasion I will kind of rush to go up the stairs and I'll, I'll go up the stairs at an inappropriate angle and I'll hit my back, like right at the top of my back on the point of this wooden banister. And it, it really hurts. <laughs> And in my defense, I'm not the only one in the house that does this, but on occasion, I run in and I hit like my back on the banister. So now, there's two ways this goes down as an example of the Dharma. I'm running towards the stairs, I hit the banister, and it hurts. So, sense contact, right? The form. I feel my body contract. I can feel the form changing, right? That's the form aggregate. I feel the density and hardness of the wood and the pressure and the <laughs> and the ferocity on my back, right? Because of gravity and speed. So there's that part of it. Now, there's this moment where that is the experience arising. Now, at that point, I know it's just happened. The label is immediate. I took the corner too sharply and the label is, once again, Gregory, you've taken the corner too sharply and you've scratched your back on the stupid banister. That's the label. It puts it into a familiar box. I know exactly what I just did. It's completely familiar to me and it's a stereotyped, boom, label. Now, in the moment, what usually happens is I reach back to kind of put pressure on it but also to feel if I've done any damage because sometimes I'll like scrape off the skin and it's like really gets bruised, right? So I immediately reach back and I'm observing. And what I'm really observing in that moment is what are the feelings in the physical form? And if it's really stinging, then the label is oh, injury. Like, oh man, I've cut myself this time. Like I've really scraped off the top layer of skin. So what I'm doing is I'm reaching back engaging in form, noticing feeling, so I can figure out how to label it. I can figure out how to perceive what's just happened. So I'm feeling back and it's like, you know, if it's harsh, then I'm like, ooh, ow, God, maybe I've really injured myself. That label, oh my God, I might've really hurt myself this time, creates another set of feelings that arise, which might be fear, or most of the time it's disappointment, and confusion on how I could be so stupid that I keep running into this banister. But what you see in the moment is that there's form, there's feeling, and perception that are all engaging simultaneously. Now, if it turns out that on occasion, I'll literally scrape against the banister, but it won't be hard enough to notice. And then later on, when I'm getting dressed, I'll notice that there's like a small bruise on my back, and I'll realize Oh my gosh, I ran into the banister again. I don't even remember doing that. I must have just been rushing off to work or something. In that moment, the feeling is completely different, right? It's completely different. There's form and I look at it. It's like, okay, is something happening? I just label it as like, oh, it must have happened when I wasn't paying attention. And the label gives me a different sense of self. In that moment, since it already happened, it's not physically hurting I don't seem to get down on myself about it. It's like, eh, whatever, I ran into the banister. The change there is the label. If I really do it hard, the label is, Gregory, why are you so clumsy? If I just scraped again it lightly, the label is, eh, I just ran into the banister, no big deal. The reason I point this out is that we presume that our experience of reality is solid and static and happening to us we don't realize that there is an interpretive function in the moment that's literally creating a significant portion of the experience. And most of it is in the feeling perception part. That's where consciousness is making what we experience as life. I'll give you another example. I, I like to use this one. I often use this one in other contexts in the Dharma. But just, we all know the feeling of waking up tired wrong side of the bed, maybe we had some insomnia and it's, it's not gonna be a very good day, we're really tired, we're really grumpy. And as things come our way during the day, we're annoyed because we have low energy, we're not alert, we don't have patience. And as things come our way, the labeling system starts to judge things. Oh my God, why is that person doing that? Oh my God, why won't the light change? Oh my God, there's so much traffic or, Oh, I'm feeling so tired today. We start labeling 
the portions of our day from the feeling of fatigue. Like we wake up and we're tired and we're grumpy. And because we have this set of feelings, we begin to label things in a particular way. And we experience the day that way. I'm having a quote unquote bad day, which really means feelings are arising and I'm choosing particular perceptions that are reinforcing those feelings and making me feel crappy in this moment. Another example, you wake up completely alert. You wake up, you pop out of bed, you get your stuff ready, you go into work, or maybe many of us are still on Zoom, hop on Zoom and you do what you have to do. And maybe there's some disruptions in your day, but because you're feeling better, the labels of things are completely different. You just kind of accept what's going on. You're having a good day. So you don't overreact. You don't overly judge. You're not feeling a significant aversion in which you might label something in a little more negative capacity. I'll come back to the example I just gave you, which is being stuck in traffic. Do you ever have the experience when you're stuck in traffic and it's no big deal, like you're not rushing, maybe there's an accident, you have to get somewhere, but you're not late. And so you're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I'll be an extra 10 minutes, no big deal. I'm going to put on the radio or put on an audio book or be my, if you're a great meditator, of course, you would be meditating. You'd be taking in sense practice and doing this kind of stuff. So, but if you're, <laughs> if you're not doing that, you might also listen to music. So you label the experience like it's no big deal. You know, it's like, but if you're rushing for, if you're rushing to be somewhere, it's important to you and being late is going to have consequences, the labels that go into our head, we start labeling everybody on the road, we start dropping F-bombs or whatever, we're like, oh my God, where is everybody going? Why is everybody on the road right now? Why, where, what is going on with Portland? Like, why is there so much traffic? There never used to be so much traffic. That's perception. All of those cognitions, all of those labels, people shouldn't be out driving while I'm driving, I need to get somewhere. You know, why is there an accident or what's going on? So in both of those cases, what's really driving the dukkha, what's really driving the stress is the feelings and the perceptions. We're creating this situation for ourselves that could go either way. But in that situation, because we're late, because we're worried about being late, because we have the feeling or the thoughts that there's going to be consequences for not getting to where we're going on time, Perception kicks in in a very different way. So this is why I like to put form, feeling, and perception kind of in its own experience. Because those three are really going at it, creating our moment-to-moment -moment experience of reality. One more example. Across the street from where I live, there's some kids that like to play outside. There's like, I think three of them. Three, maybe four now uh, in the same household. And they get pretty loud. It's probably not because they're loud. It's just that when we have our window open, it echoes across the road. And I don't mind. When I hear them outside playing, it's like, oh, I remember playing as a kid. And I just think it's cool that they're all running around outside in the yard. So sometimes, though, there's so much echo that comes through that the sounds can get distorted. And so a sound will come in through the window. And it kind of puts you on edge because you're like, what is that? And oftentimes, my first response is like, oh, my God, what is going there's this general sense of what is going on outside because I can't label it. I don't know what the perception is. It's not a familiar sound. So when I don't know what it is, there's this disquiet, right, that happens in consciousness because I can't yet put it in a box. That's an example of being in a moment where feelings are driving how I'm experiencing something in the moment, but I have yet to put the perception on it. And then... All of a sudden I'll realize, oh right, the kids are out playing on the swing. And then as soon as that happens, as soon as the label arises, calm. I've got familiarity, I've got a box in a category I know, and now the experience is familiar and my feelings start to change, right? They start to relax because now I know what I'm dealing with, or at least I think I know what I'm dealing with. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you one more example. I hope this is not too many examples, but I'm just going to give you one more because this just popped into my head. So... <laughs> This was the actual experience. Molly and I, my wife, were sitting in our living room and we had the window open and I hear this horrendous sound outside, like really bad, metal on metal, just like, a, we both were like shocked. It was like a kind of a scary sound. And we both labeled the experience and said, what is wrong with that? In, like that person's car, like, man, like 
that sound. And so we immediately labeled the sound that the car was broken and somebody should take a look. Someone might take a look at it. Like it sounds pretty significant. We both had the same reaction. What was actually happening in that moment, two minutes later, my roommate came out and told me my car had been stolen. The sound I was hearing was the car being stolen because I have a boot lock on the wheel to prevent it from being stolen. But they drove away with the boot lock on the wheel. And what I was actually hearing was the was the boot lock destroying the back of my car as it tore through the back bumper. That was what was actually happening. So, but in the moment, I was thinking, I labeled this someone else's car because I wasn't driving my car. It couldn't be my car. What are the chances, right? So I labeled it someone else's car. They should deal with it. I didn't have any worry. I didn't have any concern because the sound had nothing to do with me. As soon as my roommate said, oh my God, your car just got stolen, the label at that point for the sound, completely different. Oh my God, this is the second time my car has been stolen. I can't believe they drove it away with the, the, I mean like label, 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 feeling, 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 all of this chaos (laughs) erupted in the household. Part of using the aggregates as meditative objects helps us to see how we're processing information seeing how suffering is created in the labels and seeing how perception and feeling and consciousness are fabricating reality. And it happens so quickly that we take the experience to be real with a capital R, like it's an absolute solid static experience, when in fact it's a participatory adventure with all of our sense doors and all of these parts and processes of consciousness that are happening. So that's why we deconstruct the aggregate so we can see how experience is arising. So let me give you some examples of how there's wisdom in this. Some of this is pretty obvious, but let me just shift slightly and and clarify the wisdom in all this. When we don't have mindfulness and we don't have samadhi, concentration or continuous mindfulness, we don't have continuous mindfulness, When we don't have the ability to turn awareness inward and say, what is really making up this moment? What is really making up this experience right here, right now? When we don't have that, that chain of causality seems to be happening all at one time. Reality just seems to be happening to us. It just comes in. We we feel it. We interpret it. We judge it make a decision, and move on without really seeing that. And so much of that causes suffering. When we don't realize that we're labeling things, that's the foundation of prejudice, unconscious bias. That's the foundation of things like racism, sexism, right? When we objectify things as being flat, static, and we put things into boxes that we're familiar with because we can't see that we're interpreting. So, Getting in touch with this interpretive part of reality helps us to decrease our own suffering and decrease the suffering of others because we can see that we can change perception. That's the part of reality we have control over. I don't have control over someone steals my car. I do have control over labeling it in a way that makes me feel sad or makes me feel exhausted or makes me say, why me? As if I'm being targeted out of every other person in Portland or something. So... This interpretive part allows us to see where suffering arises and it gives us leverage to make change as we're experiencing moment to moment life, life in the moment, present awareness, the ability to make a change in the way we label reality or the the way we hear reality or the way we listen to someone else's pain or the way we listen to someone else's protest or we listen to the way someone who's on the other side of the aisle of politics says something, the labels that come up so consistently and harshly don't allow us to connect with each other, right? doesn't allow us to invite mercy and connectivity and compassion and forgiveness into the room because it's all so dense. We're not seeing the process behind it. And think of this, like, Think of the internet, think of social media or Twitter or whatever kind of media feed that <laughs> that you happen to be dependent on. For me, it's just whatever's on my iPhone. Uh, I can't stop 
scrolling through, when something comes up about the president or about politics or about, you know, Trump or the election or any of these things or COVID, as soon as those images arise, you're going to put them in a box of familiar judgments. You're going to have a reaction that's going to become so familiar that every time you see th- something similar, you're going to have a you're going to have a label right in the queue, ready to go, right? As soon as someone tweets something, you're like, "Oh, it's those guys. It's those people. They're doing this or those people are doing that or and it's just the natural <laughs> it's the total natural nature of human consciousness to put things into these categories and box them and label them and reduce them. For those of you who were here last week or have already listened to the previous podcast, we talked about last week how the mind likes to reduce things to simplicity or overly simplify complex process. And we do this, like I said, because it's familiar, because it's quick, because it's simple. It doesn't take a lot of energy. But really listening to other human beings without judgment, really listening to your own heart and mind without judgment, that takes patience. That takes looking at the process of consciousness without grasping too quickly and making it into something solid and permanent and immobile, right? We want something that's uh, pliable, that's flexible, that's forgiving. So exploring the aggregates allows us to make rigidity into something that's more flexible. It gives us room to choose, gives us room to react with open-heartedness and compassion and equanimity rather than the reactive mind that just goes through the process immediately without reflection. So a couple other things I'll say about form, feeling, and perception. So the first aggregate is form. So I wanted to lean in a little bit more into form because we did form, feeling, and perception, and I leaned a little heavy on feeling and perception because form is kind of the easiest one, and it's the one we're most familiar with, but I do want to um, go into it, and we'll, um, when I can speak clearer, I'll do the, the guided meditation through the, through the body aggregate again. We, we talked about this when we talked about the four foundations a while back, but I want to talk about something that's very unique with the form aggregate. So it's a little easy to see once you start practicing that feelings arise and perceptions affect those feelings and perceptions arise and that affects feeling. What we don't often believe, I I guess you could say, is that the body is also a fabrication, meaning we don't experience a body. We experience embodiment. We experience bodiness. Our sense of the body is actually arising and passing away with each moment. It's changing every moment, our sense of the body. But we kind of have this feeling or this, well, the Buddha would call it a delusion, not a feeling. Uh, Let's say the Buddha would call it a delusion because we experience our body oftentimes as being solid. I have a body. This is my hand. I'm waving it. This is my arm. I'm raising it. But What we don't account for in the context of the aggregates is that the body is a fabrication. We are fabricating moment to moment how we feel as this body, not in the body, but as the body, because we're not in the, we're not in bodies, right? We are bodies. We're embodied beings. And so I want to show you how this works with the body, because I find this to be so interesting. We have the experience of being embodied. And that is inseparable from the aggregates of feelings and perceptions, right? It's all one experience. So one simple one that I've talked about before when I do guided meditations is that the way we breathe moment to moment fabricates, that's the other aggregate, fabricates how the body feels. So when we're anxious, when we're depressed, when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're optimistic, our breath changes, right? Our breath is different from different emotions. So as we're breathing, feelings are changing. As breathing and feelings change, the form of the body feels different. You know how your body feels heavy when you're sad? You know how you feel light when you feel excited or optimistic or happy? That's a fabrication of the body. You're 
creating that sense of the body by the way you're engaging in the present moment. So this is why I invite people to take long, slow, deep breaths. If you take long, slow, deep breaths, we fabricate an experience of the body that allows the body to feel full and relaxed, kind of a heaviness to really feel the density of the body. If you take a short, more rapid breaths, it energizes the body and makes it feel lighter and makes it feel more energized, a completely different sense of what it feels like to be embodied in that moment. So that's just an example that the Buddha gives that there's no essential body state. Every moment, every moment you're moving, you're breathing, you're experiencing the consequences of metabolism based on your eating, you are having moods which are changing the way your body may hunch over or it might expand or contract, you're standing up, sitting down, you're walking, all of that form is a experience of related embodiness, right? It's a fabrication of something that exists in consciousness. So moment to moment, we are bodying. There's bodiness. It's not just body. And it changes by the way we react moment to moment. There were uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know if it was TikTok videos or YouTube videos, but there were these experiments that have been done about posture and feeling, right? And they were talking about like before you go into an interview that you hold a particular posture, like you go into the bathroom or something and hold a particular posture so you feel upright and confident and to change your emotions before you walk into a situation. And there were all these videos of people showing all these different postures or fabrications from a Buddhist perspective that change how we show up in the present moment. You will notice this very easily in in humans, but it's it's kind of easier to, to notice it like in your pets, that how when your pet is scared or sad or hurt, like their ears drop down, their body contracts, right? Their sense of identity, that might be reaching, but their sense of self, you can see that it, it's connected to form. They're fabricating an experience. Humans are the same way. Our shoulders might be hunched, they might be back. We might walk upright when we're feeling confident. When we're sad, we might wanna curl up into a ball on the couch and watch Netflix. So we might get in that fetal position when we're upset about something or if we're, we just wanna throw a blanket over our head. Um, the point being that our feeling of the body is also a fabrication, which is why it's an aggregate because it's a fabricated experience and the way we engage, is, engage it changes the experience. I want to conclude this part for tonight by really focusing just for a few minutes on the wisdom of the aggregates. And then hopefully, if I can speak clearer next week, we'll do some guided meditations around the body and or I wanted to do a solo talk on uh, perceptions and the psychology of labeling. So when we, when we explore the aggregates, we always want to keep in mind that we don't explore the aggregates in and of themselves just to do it. Like, oh, look, I can notice perception. It's like, okay, yeah, you can do that. Or I notice my body. That's fine. But we're doing it to gain wisdom, right? We're doing it to gain the wisdom of freeing ourselves from suffering. We're doing it to gain the wisdom of learning how to cultivate happiness moment to moment, right? This is a process of learning that's supposed to result in wisdom. So we're using the aggregates as objects of meditation in support of awakening. That's really what we're doing. So here's just some things to remember about the wisdom. We talked about this last week, but I'll reiterate it. When you use an aggregate view of your heart-mind process, it immediately puts you in touch with anicca, impermanence. Sensations, perceptions, the sense of the body arising and passing away moment to moment. It immediately gives you access to seeing anatta, not self, right? When you look at the aggregates and you watch consciousness do what consciousness does, you get immediately put in touch with, oh my gosh, the self is more of a process than a thing. Oh my gosh, things are constantly changing. My body is never static. The wisdom of impermanence. 
this leads to not clinging, where we can let go of these things because we begin to see, oh, consciousness is creating this experience. I don't have to cling to it. It's not something worth clinging to. It's not static. It's not solid. It's not worth eye-making, my-making, grasping. Remembering, as we talked about last week, that when the aggregates come together, it produces a sense of I. I am feeling this. I am thinking that. I am labeling this. The I arises somewhere in between the aggregates. So another thing it does is looking at these aggregates gets us directly and immediately in touch with the idea of karma. And by karma in this moment, I'm just going to use it in its simplest Buddhist form, which is cause and effect. We begin to see that reality, what we call reality, occurs from multiple sources, causes arising and passing, A creating B, creating C, coming back around and influencing A, our bodily form causing feelings, those feelings causing labels, those labels causing more feelings, those feelings changing our posture once again. That's karma. That's starting to see that reality is in flux, that's in flow, that there's causal nature to what's underlying the moment-to-moment -moment experience. And why is that important? Because suffering is caused. Happiness is caused. They're karmic. And because they're causal, we can uncause them, right? We can let go of the causes of suffering. We can cultivate and beautify and harvest the causes of happiness. So when we're using the aggregates, we're learning about karma. We're learning about dependent co-arising. For some of you more advanced students who know what that is, I'm not going to go into it today, but we co dependent co-arising, the fact that the world is multi-causal, all kinds of things arising and passing away. Looking at the aggregates puts us in direct contact with the Four Noble Truths. What do the Four Noble Truths invite us to do? One, find the cause of suffering and hold it in awareness. Find the cure for suffering and hold that in awareness. And the Eightfold Path, which is looking at all of these causal chains and creating new ones that plant seeds of long-term happiness and well-being. So the aggregates are so central to the Dharma because it is a doorway to the Four Noble Truths, to karma, to the fourth foundation of mindfulness, to understanding the creation of happiness, to understanding not-self, equanimity. I mean, it's just, it's at the centerpiece of our meditative experience. So this is why both it's really important and it's also overwhelmingly complex at times and becomes difficult to, to be able to do. The main thing to know, the main take home, I would say, is just to remind ourselves that behind the scenes, we have form, we have the body that has sense doors that take in contact. And that contact is connected in one direction or the other to feeling. And those feelings, as they arise and pass away, impact how the form wants to be and gives rise to labels. And these labels, which we need to survive as human beings, become so familiar that we forget that we're the ones creating them. <laughs> and we forget that they're not real. Or they're not absolute. They are real, but they're not absolute. And these labels, these perceptions, and this body, this body nest, this embodied being, and these feelings are fabrications. They're co-creations of reality. They exist on a canvas of consciousness. And we are the artist that paints the picture of the experience by relating to form in a particular way, by relating to feeling in a particular way, by relating to fabrication in a particular way, we show up in the world as completely different human beings. We can go from being contracted and feeling distant and disconnected and angry and hateful and judgmental to being open, connected, compassionate, caring, patient, loving beings, all depending on how we engage with this process of fabrication, how we put the aggregates together. And I'll leave you with this one image. I can't remember which teacher it was, but they talked about the aggregates as contents of a soup. And you put all the aggregates in and you stir them around. Fabrication is the stirring around. And each one of the aggregates is like a flavor. And we get to, we get to decide how much of one aggregates it gets how much of one aggregate gets in and we can change the recipe. Now, aggregates are always going to be a part of the recipe, 
But we can become better chefs. We can become a master chef of compassion. We can become master chefs of patience and goodwill for all beings. And we do that by changing the recipe. And most of us inherit a recipe from our parents or schooling or culture or our own experiences and our own judgments and our own prejudices. But the Dharma wakes us up to the fact that through mindfulness, we can stand above this cauldron and change it around for the good. And that's really why the aggregates are so important, because they are a path to freedom. They're, they're why mindfulness can be so effective for us. So I'll leave you with that. That's the aggregates in uh, a nutshell. And I still have some voice left. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I need to get some Benadryl or so I need to get Benadryl as a sponsor for Wednesday Wake and cover something pretty pretty darn quick. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for your kind attention this evening, particularly uh, just my voice. Oh my gosh. So much mindfulness to try and project. I feel like I'm yelling at you, <laughs> yelling at you instead of presenting. <laughs> oh my gosh, my friends. Okay. Let me take a breath. Hmm. Thank you so much for supporting Wednesday. Wake up in your presence in this little community. Thank you so much for your Donna. Many of you are monthly contributors to Wednesday Wake Up, and it is that help that allows us to be here every week. I really want to thank you for those who are able to do it and find this of value. I do love, absolutely love being with you here, and uh, we will continue uh, next week. Like I said, I want to, um, I really want to give you a independent Dharma talk on the psychology of how the mind labels things. I feel like we're in a period of time in the world where there's so much labeling back and forth between people and so much anger and so much hatred that I really feel like we should do that, do that justice, no pun intended, to really dive into watching how the habit of, of stereotyping actually happens in consciousness, right? How it happens non-consciously and then causes a suffering. I feel like I want to give like an extra, an extra day on that aggregate. And I also want to do some guided meditations on the, the form aggregate in the feeling aggregate and remind us of some of those, uh, the corpse meditation, the elemental meditation, the anatomical meditations and all of that. For those of you who have to take off, thank you for sharing this evening with us. For those who would like to stay for two or three minutes, we will conclude with some loving kindness. Take a few intentional breaths. Whatever kind of breathing would feel right in this moment. Breathe in a way that just feels good. And just notice how breathing is an act of fabrication. It creates our sense of body in this moment can create a sense of ease, relaxation, and well-being. And we can notice this in the aggregate of consciousness. We can notice this happening. Let's ground ourselves fully in the body, the form and the shape. Just take notice that your body takes up space in this room. It has shape and form. It has a sense of density. We can feel our good friend gravity with our feet touching floor and our butt touching the cushion or the chair. That pressure. And we just welcome it this sense of form, knowing it intimately as it occurs in consciousness in this moment. And we might conclude this evening by reminding ourselves that while we practice for our own healing, our own well-being, our own awakening, our highest aspiration is by far that all beings be free from suffering. 
Let all beings be free from danger, worry, and concern. Let all beings feel safe. Let all beings feel loved. Let all beings know true freedom in this lifetime. And we might ask ourselves this question. In this moment, if I could wish anything for all beings, and know that wish would come to pass, what would you wish for all beings? May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you for your generous attention and kindness this evening. Good to see y'all. See you next week. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.